So I've been working on my authorization service and it's totally sweet. It's only taken me six months to build it, just six months. I started implementing some basic RBAC library, but that wasn't enough, obviously. So I designed relationship-based fine-grained authorization for the highest security possible. And then to make it super fast, I used a GPU tower running in my mom's basement, of course, connected via optic cable to bare metal server at my local esports lounge, permissions, restrictions, and admin. Nailed it. Wait, 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 wait. Whatever you did sounds cool, but like there's also another option. Oh, really? Yeah, with permit.io. Permit is the full-stack authorization platform created so you never have to build permissions again. Build and manage permissions for any application with policy as code, APIs, developer-friendly SDKs, and user-facing UIs. Permit is an end-to-end authorization platform built on top of open-source policy engines. It's high-performing, gets decisions in less than 10 milliseconds, and uses a hybrid approach where config is in the cloud, but data and decisions are made locally. Not only is it intuitive, it lets you implement fully functional authorization in five minutes, not six months, and in the code base you prefer. Check out the link in the show notes or go to permit.io to learn more. That's P-E-R-M-I-T dot I-O. Sign up for Permit and stop rebuilding off. The MVP definitely focused a lot more on onboarding the customer and aggregating their data. So I think a lot of the trade-off there was deciding what makes that cut, right? What do we actually need to start to onboard customers to give them a reasonable level of comfort that they are working with this random new startup that is trying to collect all their financial information? Building out the right UI, building out the right integration so that as much of it can be automated and going through third-party OAuth and things like that, rather than, hey, send us a spreadsheet of all your financial data. I think that was the initial focus. My name is Raven Young, and I'm the CTO and co-founder at Arc. This is Code Story. The podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. Many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. And today, how Raven Jing is empowering startups with modern finance products. Built for scale with dedicated and complete support. This episode is sponsored by Kiteworks. Legacy managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. 
Get started today at clearquery.io slash code story. Raven Jing grew up in Singapore before heading over to the States for college. He came to the U.S. for undergrad because he grew up reading science fiction and liked the idea of working with technology. He plays multiplayer video games, which helps to shape how he views technology and the advancements in that ecosystem. He enjoys Japanese food and, in fact, traveled to Japan regularly while living in Singapore. Raven and his co-founders met in business school and observed an interesting opportunity in the market. They wanted to apply consumer finance technology to create a seamless revenue financing experience. Over time, they added to the platform to create a fintech solution to accelerate your startup. This is the creation story of ARC. So ARC, it's a full-service B2B fintech platform. What we do is we offer cash management, treasury, and financing services to software businesses, oftentimes startups between kind of the series A to B range. We actually started off offering, focusing mainly on the revenue-based financing service. So what that looks like is startups looking to get finance can show us their future revenues and use that as a way to receive effectively an upfront loan. Over time, we expanded that portfolio of products and launched cash management, which is debit card, corporate checking accounts, uh, things like that. And then also the treasury management side, which is a brokerage account that helps you manage your corporate treasury in investing in a variety of securities that can help you preserve your capital. I have two co-founders. The three of us met in business school right before starting ARC, and we just saw an interesting opportunity at the beginning to, to really apply some of the consumer fintech technologies to create a really fast and seamless revenue financing experience. And that's how we got started. And over time, we expanded the product as we got more feedback from our customers. So let's dive into the MVP, so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? The first version of the product MVP is really the revenue-based financing product. And what that looks like is like an onboarding flow with a light loan management system at the back end. So the onboarding flow is meant to collect a variety of information from the customers, including banking, accounting, and other company-related information. So there's a lot of like third-party integrations on the back end to help facilitate that. But fundamentally, it's a full-stack web app with third-party API integrations. We got that up and running pretty much once we, have, once we set on the direction and really started building. I would say probably took less than a month to, to get that initial product in front of the first live customer. The app continues to be actually built on a fully TypeScript front-end, back-end with Postgres SQL. And the idea was to create a really fast, type-safe and relatively standard environment that people can be really productive and have high product velocity on because we anticipated the need to really just move fast with some of these features and improvements. And we also saw that as our comparative advantage with a lot compared to a lot of the traditional lenders and financing companies that have old-school web portals that don't really change over time. You're alluding to some of this at a high level, but I wanted to dig into some of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make in the short term in building that MVP. You know, it could have been like, 
you know, approach, feature cut, technical debt, or things like that. Tell me about some of those and how you cope with those decisions. Ultimately, a revenue-based financing platform needed to not just have a great onboarding experience, but to have the loan servicing aspect of it. So that's cash being sent out, that's cash being received. The MVP definitely focused a lot more on onboarding the customer and aggregating their data. So I think a lot of the trade-off there was deciding what makes that cut, right? What do we actually need to start to onboard customers to give them a reasonable level of comfort that they are working with this random new startup that is trying to collect all their financial information? Building out the right UI, building out the right integrations so that as much of it can be automated and going through third-party OAuth and things like that, rather than, hey, send us a spreadsheet of all your financial data. I think that was the initial focus. And a lot of the other things that come later down the pipeline, such as actually sending out the money to them or like collecting payments, that was basically going to be done manually at the beginning. So I think that was the trade-offs on what makes that cut and what doesn't. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks' level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks Solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. This episode is sponsored by CashFly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where CashFly comes in. CashFly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, CashFly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only CashFly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right. Free. Learn more at CashFly.com slash CodeStory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash CodeStory. So let's move forward then. So you've got the MVP. It's working. It's the revenue-based financing portion of it. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I heard you mention earlier, you know, like taking feedback from customers. I'm curious about that. And I'm curious about how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Arc. There were definitely iterative improvements that were really obvious. Once you start to have a portfolio of active cash advances, you needed to service them, which means 
send the money out when they ask for it, but also collect them over time and have a record of that and all that. So that was like a very obvious iterative next step, improving on a lot of those systems, the reliability, the types of user ergonomics of that, right? Like uh, the notifications, the UI and all that. But some of the iterative approach also led us to a place where there are certain features that customers started to talk about. Some of our customers actually bootstrap companies that are generating revenue, but maybe didn't even have a real corporate bank account at the time. We started thinking about, oh, to improve the customer experience, like it, it would be cool to have a built-in way to have a checking account to both allow companies to have access to their cash advances much more quickly, but also just as like an added value for the types of companies that maybe don't quite have a bank account right now. So that kind of desire to improve the, the revenue financing product ultimately led us to, over time, as we talked to more customers, we realized that, hey, this was something that we could offer as a separate product. So I would say it grew organically just from the type of feedback that we were getting from the customers we were both talking to and serving, right? So there were also customers that we didn't get to serve because they didn't have the financials at the time to qualify for a cash events, but they would have used a, a corporate checking account if we were to offer them one. So I think that was a, those were the interesting data points that kind of led us down that path. Let's switch to team. So tell me about how you built your team and what you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you. This was 2021 when we started and this was like <laughs> peak remote work and the engineering talent market was going crazy and it was impossible to find people. But I think even from the beginning, we felt quite strongly that we wanted an in-person working culture. Because I, I just like really believe that in the early stage of a startup, especially one that's going through a lot of product explorations, a lot of learning, I think it was important for people to be able to collaborate in person. And so I think a lot of our search initially was to look for the type of engineers that would be excited by that idea. And I think a lot of our early hires were like big tech experienced engineers who just got tired of the, the slowness of big tech plus the kind of like disengagement that's created by this fully remote environment that they were experiencing. That cultural idea that, hey, we want to be in the office and work on this new thing together with a lot of energy and like brainstorming. So let's talk about scalability. And this will be interesting given, you know, the fintech nature of the product and how important limited disruptions are. So tell me about how you approach scalability. Was it was it built to scale from day one or with abstractions in mind? Or have you fought this as you've grown in any sort of capacity? I think there was a credible path to scaling every component that we built. But when we built them, we didn't think too much about this, the scaling problem. You definitely want to adopt technology and framework, or at least like we thought that was important to do, to adopt technology and frameworks that have a proven track record of scaling over time. But the initial implementation or how we use those tools and frameworks in the beginning, we were not going to put extra effort into building the scalable version of it right away. I think as long as the credible migration path exists, I think we were happy. To add to that, we were also pretty sure that we were a B2B company and the type, even 
in the best case scenario of, oh, hey, we have, let's say, tens of thousands of companies with dozens of users each. We were not going to be the scale of Facebook. So I think there's a lot of design decisions that maybe can be easier as a result of that knowledge. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I think that we have, in the span of less than three years, built a suite of product that's fairly competitive in the market that we are in. I think people have probably heard of Brex and Mercury and they have been around for quite a while. We've been around for less than three years. And I think today we are going head to head with them in a lot of products that we offer. And so I think the fact that the team has been ready able to move very fast and build the product in a way that ensures a, a good amount of safety and correctness, I think, I think that's been a really great accomplishment for the team. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I, I was like trying to improve our instrumentation for observability, to improve the way that we were capturing and handling all the errors that might happen at runtime. I, I checked in a piece of code that was meant to add a bit of instrumentation to our serverless functions, but ended up preventing some of the executions of the functions from running to completion. So that actually had a pretty huge impact on a, a set of services on our backend. When that came to light, I was like, obviously deeply embarrassed. And to the team's credit, I think people got right down into problem solving mode. I think it wasn't obvious where the problem was coming from. It was actually a very subtle bug. For those of you familiar with TypeScript, it ultimately involved the async await and the missing await in a in the obscure middleware. But yeah, I think the team responded really well, and there was a lot of like fast collaboration of ideas around what could the problem be. And when we ultimately narrowed down the problem, I think that people came up with a pretty great recovery plan around replaying of some of the missing event messages and, and things like that. So I think at Arc, people definitely, we definitely have a culture where people are always happy to dive into problems that maybe they don't feel personally responsible for, but they're happy to jump in and help to resolve them. So I think that's been a great, consistent feature of Arc over time. And I think it's served us well, and in this case, it was a problem that I caused, and I think that team did really well there. Hello. Welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. 
This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right. Free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Raven, this will be fun. What's the future look like for the product and for your team? At Arc, I think we do believe that the future kind of B2B fintech platform that companies want to rely on needs to be an integrated suite of products. There's definitely been a proliferation of tools over the past few years. And what happens is that most companies end up adopting a very limited set of those tools because it takes extra operational overhead to even get them to talk to one another. So I would say I think our future is definitely expanding into now that we have the transactions on the platform, your first party transactions that companies are performing, their payrolls, their vendor payments, everything on the platform to build on top of that to offer customers the sense that they have greater control, greater awareness and greater kind of auditing capabilities over the financial events that are happening within their company. I think that that's definitely what the, where the future of the product lies. And in terms of the team and the company, I think we have consistently been able to build more with a smaller team than what came before us. And I think this is actually a very common story that you will hear across a lot of industries, right, where software has become very good and newer teams are able to execute really fast with a smaller number of people. I think it's something that we value and I think we'll continue to grow in a way that I think is deliberate and considers the amount of incremental execution capacity that we obtain with every new employee. So the company is going to be bigger, but it's probably not going to be, in my mind, oversized. And I think that's something that we want to always be careful with. Raven, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. It's probably been my girlfriend recently, I would say. So I'm fairly good at test taking. One of my math teachers growing up actually told me that the way to sum up Raven is minimum effort, maximum reward. And I think there's some truth to that, which is that because I was so good at test taking, I was so good at figuring things out, I could always figure out a very smooth and easy path to achieving some of the things I wanted. I think watching my girlfriend work and her work ethics, I think has definitely given me a different perspective, which is that she works really hard. And I think a lot of times she does things in a way where she wants to do the best thing she could, regardless of what the outcomes might be. There's a certain amount of diligence and just like a principle in that that I've really come to respect. And it's something that I do think about from time to time, especially at, at a startup where 
Sometimes the outcomes are uncertain. Well, most of the time the outcomes are uncertain. From time to time, you do want to put aside what the immediate outcomes are going to be and just invest and do the best you can because sometimes the outcomes will be surprising as a result of that. We talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Where would you consider taking a different approach? Doesn't doesn't have to be something that that didn't work. Could have worked well, but maybe you tweak it a little bit. I think that as a fresh startup in the B2B space, in fintech especially, there's a strong desire to establish credibility really early. And I think some of our hires early on were a bit optimizing for that. I'm not talking about just product engineering in general. I'm broadly speaking as a company. I think what ended up happening was that there was a bit of a probably a cultural mismatch when you try to hire, especially in our space, really credible people from big companies, right? Because like a lot of times the type of working style and culture just didn't work quite well for a company that is our stage, needs to figure things out and needs to oftentimes not do the exact same thing that has been shown to work in the past. So I would say thinking back, I would probably want us or something I would advise probably to any startup is to think about the problems that you actually need to solve and find people that you think will be good at solving those problems rather than the similar problems that big companies face and the people that are solving those problems at the big companies. They, they have the same name, like a lot of the things are going to be the same. Security, like fraud, like whatever it is, startups deal with that, big companies deal with that. But the actual problem that startups deal with in solving those things are very different from what big companies do. And the type of people that you need are probably going to be different. Okay, last question, Raven. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person? Having gone down this road a bit. <laughs> I think that having an initial product and an idea that you're excited about is really, definitely really important. I think it gives you the energy and the momentum at the beginning that's helpful to a startup. But I will also say that in the long term, if you look at most companies that turn out to be successful, a lot of their initial ideas are definitely no longer relevant, right? Examples I can think of maybe would be if you look at, let's say, AWS, the, the beginnings of AWS and where it is now are, are, are very different. I think it's important to use that momentum and to use that energy to continue to discover and look for things in the space that you're in and to see and observe what's happening with the with like the success and the metrics over time to to get a sense of when is it the right time to continue to improve on this product and when is it the right time to to go beyond it that's often that's always a tough decision and i think some people stay married to one thing for longer than they should and some people probably didn't give certain ideas enough of a try before they give up. That's fantastic. Well, Raven, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of ARC. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. 
And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big-